a revolutionary baby monitor is born. I want to introduce you to a brand new baby monitor, Massimo Stork. Massimo Stork Baby Monitor tracks health indicators so you can get to know your baby better. Track your baby's pulse rate, oxygen saturation, and skin temperature with the high-resolution video and clear two-way audio from the Stork app. While Massimo Stork Baby Monitor is new, Massimo Signal Extraction Technology, or SET to be exact, has been trusted in hospitals for over 25 years. In fact, 9 out of 10 top U.S. hospitals, as ranked in the 2022-2023 U.S. News & World Report, uses Massimo SET as their primary pulse oximetry technology. Now, this technology is available for families at home, empowering confident parenting. Go to Massimo Stork to learn more. Please remember, Mosmo Stork is not meant to be used as a medical device. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Hi, everyone. I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Welcome to Yoga Birth Babies, a podcast produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. We will be diving into everything prenatal yoga, birth, and baby-related, hoping to inspire, educate, and empower you through your journey into motherhood. Thank you for listening. Hi, I'm Deb Flaschenberg, and I'm your host of Yoga Birth Babies, and today we're talking about PMADS, perinatal mood and anxiety disorder. This is such an important conversation. So here's some statistics I want to throw at you. What we have reported is one in five, about 20% of new parents and pregnant folks have a PMAD, a perinatal mood and anxiety disorder. And we'll go through all the different topics of that. About 10% of that comes from having a traumatic birth. These are huge numbers. And while we talk about 20% have a PMAD, that's of the reported cases. Do you know it's more likely like one third of people have a PMAD? Given how incredibly abundant this is, how prevalent it is, we need to have the tools to support new parents. As for new parents, parents recognizing these traits of PMADS and knowing how to seek help, but most importantly, taking the stigma away from it. So I'm really excited to share this conversation with you. I hope it lands and I hope it is encouraging for anyone suffering from PMAD to know they're not alone and to seek help. And for those that are support people to see some of these signs and be a really steady, solid listening ear for the new parent that's suffering to hold that space for them. So to have this conversation, I have Nancy Layish. Let me tell you a little bit about her. She is a licensed clinical social worker in Orlando, Florida, and is certified in the field of perinatal mental health. She is the co-founder of the nonprofit Central Florida Postpartum Alliance in Orlando, Florida, and is the Outreach Director at the Alliance. Nancy has also been a member of the Postpartum Support International since 
2013. She's got a ton of great information and she is just so excited and willing to share it. So I think you're going to get so much from this conversation. This is one of those that I bet you're going to bookmark and come back to over and over again. Now, before we get to that conversation, let's just touch base about some things going on at the studio. So we are continuing our online classes. It may continue seven days a week. We might have to take a day off every now and then, but check the schedule for one of our online live stream classes and of course re-releases. And then of course our in-studio classes. I recorded this during the summer when we have classes in Central Park right by Strawberry Fields. So you might join Ellen for an evening class if you're in New York City near the Upper West Side. What else is happening? We've got a bunch of classes on demand. I just finished editing our new lactation on demand workshop. So you can check that out. The library is growing so you can take class when you like. And then of course we've got for those that are a yoga teacher or somewhere in the perinatal professional world, I've got a ton for you too. So we have our 85 hour teacher training and <laughs> some of our past teacher trainees said I need to be more honest. It's not just 85 hours. It's in depth. It's really in depth. It's more than that. So if you want a really in-depth evidence-based course, check that out on our website, prenatalyogacenter.com. But then I also have some online self-paced courses for maybe you're the teacher that you don't want to go that in depth, but you do want to be prepared to support the pregnant person arriving in your class, check out my website, also prenatalyogacenter.com for the course I called Who's Afraid of the Pregnant Yogi? So that you are not afraid of the pregnant yogi. And I have a follow-up course called Teaching the Postpartum Students. So all that's on our website. And while you're over there, go ahead and grab your free downloadable. It is called Five Simple Solutions to the Most Common Pregnancy Pains and Postpartum Pains. So I know that sometimes your back hurts, your upper back, your neck, your hips. I have five poses that can alleviate a lot of what your body might feel for discomforts. So check that out. Okay. That's enough of me. Let's take a super quick break. When we come back, please enjoy my conversation with Nancy. A revolutionary baby monitor is born. I want to introduce you to a brand new baby monitor, Massimo Stork. Mosmo Stork Baby Monitor tracks health indicators so you can get to know your baby better. Track your baby's pulse rate, oxygen saturation, and skin temperature with the high-resolution video and clear two-way audio from the Stork app. While Mosmo Stork Baby Monitor is new, Mosmo Signal Extraction Technology, or set to be exact, has been trusted in hospitals for over 25 years. In fact, 9 out of 10 top U.S. hospitals, as ranked in the 2022-2023 U.S. News & World Report, uses Mosmo Set as their primary pulse oximetry technology. Now, this technology is available for families at home, empowering confident parenting. Go to Mosmo Stork to learn more. Please remember, Mosmo Stork is not meant to be used as a medical device. Hi, Nancy. How are you? Hi, Deborah. I'm well. Thank you. Thank you. Well, I'm excited that Kathy connected us and that we're going to talk about a really important topic, PMAD. So thanks for your time. So I guess we should just jump right in. Um, I'd love to learn a little bit about you and your story and what inspired you to start the Central Florida Postpartum Alliance. Absolutely. And first off, thank you so much for the opportunity to share my story and to bring awareness to this crucial mental health issue. Oh, my pleasure. Uh, 
it's really important to get the word out about perinatal mental health. And I, again, so grateful for the opportunity to, to be able to uh, share my story and information. Uh, so a little bit about me. Um, I, uh, my journey with this work began with my own personal journey, um, which began almost 30 years ago with the birth of my oldest child. Uh, I was, I'm from St. Louis, Missouri originally, and, um, that's where he was born. And the pregnancy overall was a wonderful pregnancy and no problems until the very end when I developed an acute kidney condition which required that I be induced a few days before his due date. Um, luckily, uh, once I was induced, uh, the problem with the kidney went away and labor proceeded very smoothly. Uh, however, soon after his birth, uh, it was discovered that he was born with a deformity called a club foot, which is a uh, positioning of the foot in a uh, like kind of a curved way. And the uh, muscles in the legs are weaker and, and the leg itself is shorter. So what this meant was um, ongoing plaster casting uh, for about a year off and on, starting with the day after birth as well as future uh, operations. So when I was told about this, I couldn't really wrap my head about it because my head was still in the clouds from the birth of my son. I was so excited. I was like living on all the endorphins and I was thinking, okay, we'll deal with this as it happens and everything's going to be fine. Um, so fast forward, discharge from the hospital, uh, try to adjust to parenting as we all do. Um, but I could feel some things were changing. It was kind of like a storm. I, I use a lot of analogies. And to me, uh, the best way to describe it was like storm clouds were brewing. Mm -hmm. uh, what that meant is that I started feeling uh, increased anxiety and feelings of like inadequacy with my parenting. Like I wasn't doing something right or like I, I don't know what I'm doing. And, um, to compound these issues was that my son was a colicky baby and it seemed like no matter what we did, we couldn't get him to calm down or sleep and which led to slight sleep deprivation for both me and my spouse. And, uh, in addition, I was really looking forward to nursing, but I had surgery before that, um, I had some medical issues and had to have surgery, um, but I was still hoping I could nurse. But unfortunately, that was not meant to be. So this was very devastating to my identity as a new mom. Um, combine that with um, uh, I living in St. Louis in the wintertime in the Midwest is much different than living in Florida <laughs> in the wintertime. Uh Needless to say, it's much colder, much longer, much gloomier. And uh, I was prone to what's called seasonal affective depressive disorder or SAD, uh, which results from a lack of sunlight that it causes depression symptoms. So these were another, these were other factors that played a role into this. And then one final factor was um, the reality of just the enormity of 
trading my son's club foot and what that entailed. All this came to a head about a month or two later, maybe three months later, when um, I was at one of his pediatrician appointments and the nurse practitioner asked how everything was going. And I just broke down and started sobbing. Mm-hmm. I told her what was going on. And she said to me, it sounds like you have postpartum depression. Honestly, I was so relieved to hear that there was a name given to that because up until that point, I was thinking, I'm the only one going through this. Everyone else I know that has babies seems so happy, seems to know what they're doing. I feel like an utter failure. But she explained to me that this was something out of my control and that there was help. So this started, this was the seed that started the road towards recovery for me. And um, what proceeded from there was I found a wonderful therapist to help me through it. I had support from my spouse and other loved ones, which was crucial. Um, I also uh, was uh, took some medication, an antidepressant that did help enormously. And finally, I found an amazing support group, which for that time was pretty rare um, because it's still rare now to find uh, as a general rule, to find resources, although the good news is they are there, mm-hmm. and I will talk more about those later. Um, but back 30 years ago, it was even more scant. Uh, so I was very fortunate, and um, I, after about two or three months, I was well on the road to recovery and was doing great. And um, but all along, I. I knew I I couldn't be the only one going through this and learned eventually that that was the case. And I had so much empathy for other families because this is a family uh, condition. It's not one person may have it, but it has a ripple effect throughout the family system and through everyone who's affected by that loved one who is experiencing these. So even if I refer to a mother or to a father uh, throughout my talk, it, it, bear in mind that this is a ripple effect upon the entire family. Wow. Mm. Your story really gave so much I want to go into. Is that what led you to become a social worker or are you already a social worker before that? No. And thank you for bringing that up. Um, I was a social worker before that. And what I wanted to tell you about that was this was never discussed in graduate school or my internships. Uh, we learned, as you can imagine, all about different clinical diagnoses, but not about perinatal mental health, mm. nor was it discussed um, at the childbirth classes like the Lamas classes or preparation during pregnancy. So I was totally blindsided by the whole concept. I was not prepared at all. And it's nice to see how things have evolved, but it's interesting, even in the, I've been in the perinatal world for now 20 years. Oh my gosh. Um, a little Uh more. I've been, (laughs) I started young, young. but even when I started, it was called postpartum depression. And throughout these two decades, it's now PMADS, which is so great because it's such a bigger umbrella of what that covers. And, and I think when we hear postpartum depression, it just limits it to depression. It doesn't cover the anxiety or the OCD. So would you talk a little bit about the whole category of PMADS? Absolutely. And you are absolutely right about that because, and we, this is where we have a ways to go because there are definitely more, um, 
anxiety and depression related disorders or conditions beyond postpartum depression. So we, I actually want to say that PMAP, the perinatal period, which is defined as from conception up to the first year postpartum, can include any of these that I'm about to discuss. Um, and they actually, there's a spectrum of PMADs. And what those include are, as you mentioned, uh, postpartum depression and anxiety, which are the most common. Uh, we know that up to, and these, what I'm going to give are uh, some figures and a little bit of definition of each. And these are from research with mothers. But again, to emphasize, dads can get these as well, and I will address that later. Um, but and also remember the ripple effect throughout the family. Uh, so again, the depression, anxiety in pregnancy uh, is estimated that 15 to 20 percent of pregnant women experience moderate to severe symptoms of depression or anxiety. Anxiety. Um, these include um, anxiety, uh, ongoing anxiety. Uh, can include. Uh, appetite, sleep disturbances, detachment from the infant or the, the relationships or uh, intense fear, uh, feelings of failure, or of guilt, uh, feelings of worthlessness, uh, and in the worst case, feelings of self-harm. Uh, and if that happens, immediate help is necessary. Uh, there's also what's known as perinatal panic disorder. Uh, this is a form of anxiety that occurs up to about 11% of new mothers. Uh, symptoms include feelings, heightened feelings of nervousness, panic attacks, uh, heart palpitations. It's a magnification of that anxiety that morphs into panic uh, disorder, basically. Okay, so the next one, uh, which is the most misunderstood and misdiagnosed of all the perinatal mood and anxiety disorders is known as perinatal obsessive compulsive disorder. And we know that as many as 11% of new moms will experience, um, these are intrusive thoughts like of wanting to hurt the baby. Um, and the compulsions or behaviors are those behaviors that are repetitive uh, actions that will uh, reduce these fears and obsessions. Uh, for example, if uh, a new mom is worried she's going to hurt or cut her baby with a knife during, let's say, a diaper change, she will do everything in her power to get rid of any kind of sharp object or knives in the house to reduce um, those thoughts. Um, what's, what is very important is that the mother knows that these thoughts are bizarre and are very unlikely to ever act on them. And this will be an important, it's important in itself, but it'll be important to distinguish between postpartum psychosis, which I will address also in a minute. Uh, but the next one on the spectrum would be postpartum, uh, postpartum post-traumatic stress disorder. Uh, basically, that results from a previous trauma, a birth trauma, uh, a trauma, uh, unresolved trauma earlier in life. Uh, these are triggers that may cause uh, the mother or the father uh, to um, do any kind of avoidance that will uh, reflect on that stimulation that's triggering, that tr or reflect on that trigger um, responsible for the trauma. 
Uh, it creates increased arousal, such as irritability and sleeping problems and hypervigilance, uh, similar to what we talked about with panic disorder. Um, and then postpartum psychosis. This is the rarest of the PMADs, which occurs in approximately one to two of every thousand deliveries. I and mean, it's the most severe. Uh, the onset is usually sudden. Uh, and most, uh, ha- happens most within the first four weeks. Uh, these symptoms include delusions or, or hallucinations, feeling very irritated, uh, hyperactive, a decreased need for sleep and significant mood changes with poor decision making. It's important to note there's a 5% suicide rate and a 4% percent infanticide rate associated with psychosis. And thus, needless to say, um, immediate treatment is imperative. And I wanted, again, emphasize the difference between uh, perinatal obsessive compulsive disorder and postpartum psychosis is that the, the partner who is experiencing these, the one who has the obsessive compulsive disorder knows that the behaviors and the actions are bizarre and not likely to hurt the child the postpartum psychosis patient does not and believes that is reality and will act upon those. So that is a major difference between the two. Also, I don't know if I mentioned um, 9% of uh, postpartum stress disorder. Uh, it, I'm sorry. Let me try that again. Um, an estimated 9% of women experience uh, the postpartum part in post-traumatic stress disorder. That is a, that's a really big amount. And to be honest, I didn't know that post-traumatic stress disorder was in the PMADS family. I knew that there's a lot of people that have it, but I didn't know that was in that family, which is important to recognize because we're hoping that through support and education and doulas and really uh, aligning one with a with a care provider that is respectful that we can hopefully lower that number cuz 10% that is a that is a big number to think about those that had birth now have a post traumatic stress disorder and and realize that this may be a low number. There, there yeah. may be more. Um, I suspect it is. Exactly, because people don't want to talk about it. There, this is the whole part of the stigma and secrecy. Well, I want to talk about that actually. So we're gonna. I actually want to ask about that. But one thing also you were mentioning about the numbers. Um, I interviewed a, a wonderful person, Paige Bellenbaum. She's been on the on the podcast many times from the Motherhood Center, and she had the oh. same statistic that uh, about twenty percent of new parents parents fall into the category of PMADs, but she was recommending, she was also noting that was, those were the, what's recorded. Those are the people that like said, come forward. She estimates it's more like one in three, which is bonkers. These are huge numbers. And I think you're totally right that there is a, there can be a stigma or misconceptions around PMADs. Do you want, would you talk more to that? Absolutely. So much shame and isolation results from a lack of understanding about PMADs. That's where all this secrecy and stigma come from. Um, and this re- results from personal, both personal and culturally held beliefs about pregnancy and birth in our society. Um, and some of these include um, parents, and I put in quotes, should be overjoyed at having a baby because having a baby is, is it, and it is an amazing, wonderful event. But it's considered uh, point blank to be a joyful time by our society. We were not allowed to um, to to feel like 
there's something wrong with having a baby. That's, that's the unspoken, uh, should, if you will. Mm -hmm. Um, baby blues and depression are the same as another myth. Uh, and I will talk about that as well. And they are definitely different. Uh, let's see. PMADs are your fault. Nothing can be further from the truth. I like to say that, you know, when you have your beautiful bundle of joy, you're not expecting a beautiful bundle of PMATs to go with it. Nobody's <laughs> asking for those, you know, so it's not your fault. And, um, you, but you will likely need to get some help. Um, uh, the, let's see the lack of sleep, the lack of time for oneself re- and relationships and the overall transition to parenthood. This is often downplayed and even treated within our society with the expectation that is all worth it for the newest addition to the family. Um, so for example, it's like, yeah, you're going to have sleepless nights and you're going to look like hell, but you know what? You've got this beautiful baby and it's all worth it. Well, I understand where that can come from, but with the a development of a PMAD, because of these um, symptoms, it, it becomes a very serious situation and cannot be downplayed. Um, all, then we move on to the media portrayal of pregnancy and birth, which is personified by magazine and TV ads movies of parents that look, you know, how it looks well, you know, coughed, coughed with their hair. And I'd say social media too, really plays into that. Exactly. And I was going to say with social media, the portrayals of friends and family discussing their happy pregnancies and births, which are wonderful, but with those struggling with PMADs, it further reinforces those feeling, that feeling of isolation, like there's something wrong with them. Um, and it's already hard enough because there, what I call the comparison effect is mm-hmm. already there on se- social media, trying to measure up with everyone else when they're posting everything, like, looking like everyone's like, oh, their lives, look how great their lives are. And, and that's already there. And then, you know, the, the further, if, if you're having, experiencing a PMAD as a new mother or father, and you're feeling these feelings, it leads to increased inadequacy. Um, that is also, so hard. Oh, I'm sorry, it, go ahead. I was just going to say that's just so much to carry and feel so it is. isolated. It is. So and how, it bec- oh, go ahead. So how does someone know that they're not just experiencing a typical baby blues? Okay. So that is a great question. So there are three primary factors that distinguish a PMAD from baby blues. And, um, as an example, um, because postpartum depression is the most widely known, I'm going to use that, uh, to compare. So the three that we distinct, the three distinguishing factors are the timing and onset of symptoms, the severity of the symptoms and the duration of symptoms. So when we talk about the timing and onset for baby blues, that usually means three to five days post birth and peaks two weeks and then goes away completely. Um, we know at least 80% of new parents experience this, which is quite a bit. So it's, it's pretty, it's very common. Um, for postpartum depression, these are usually a cluster of symptoms that appear within approximately four weeks after birth. Mm. Uh, the severity of symptoms, uh, there's usually, uh, a back and forth of emotions on a 
spectrum from irritability and exhaustion all the way to deliriously happy and exhausted. Um, and so these wax and wane, um, and there are usually no self-esteem issues associated with it. Mm. By, contra- by contrast with postpartum depression, there's increased stress, depressed mood throughout the day, a lack of enjoyment of, and, and detachment from the baby and relationships, uh, sleep and appetite disturbances, and feel, increased feelings of worthlessness. So they really are quite different. So we're going to take a break. When we come back, I'd love to hear how a partner or family would identify that new parent that has PMAD. So we're going to take a quick break and let's come right back. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. All right. So say a parent, the, the two parents, if there's two parents and the one that just had the baby has some PMADs, how would the partner approach that and, and identify that and even start a conversation? Because I can imagine almost feeling like walking on eggshells or, or they're so wrapped up in the experience too. Maybe they don't even notice. Absolutely. And it's very easy to get wrapped up into that. That Again, that ripple effect um, you know, affecting the whole family system. But I would like to point out several red flags that the supportive partner can look out for. Uh, these include uh, the symptoms that persist and worsen after the baby blues period, which is the two-week period. Uh, again, incre- these would include like increased withdrawal from life's activities, increased attachment from the baby, uh, perseverating thoughts and fears, heightened by panic and irritability. Um, again, the increased crying, um, the the lack of sleep, appetite disturbances. Overall, the partner th- that partner noticed that the loved one is not him or herself, and. Um, increased, uh, again, self-harm, harming thoughts and behaviors, uh, definitely the biggest red flag. Um, so those are the main red flags I would look for, things that are out of the ordinary or that are is getting more and more severe and are not reducing. That's uh, a pretty good, those are pretty good indicators that um, the partner is experiencing some type of PMAD. Um, and how, and it's absolutely important to start a conversation, which can be very tricky because yeah, I think that's where the, it could be a problem. It's like they don't want to possibly, maybe I'm making this up, like insult someone that are, they already see is down and, and having some self-confidence problems. Well, that's true. But one way to get around that is to validate in general, mm. um, what a universal feeling of parenting might be or to yes. get to if there's an absolute symptom that you can hone in on, can focus on that. So for example, the most important thing, I, I, here's some do's and don'ts. 
do be an active listener and create a non-judgmental atmosphere to allow the loved one to begin talking. Uh, I can't underestimate that or overestimate that enough. That's um, very important to create that safe space um, for for opening up for dialogue. Um, So, for example, the partner can say, you know, there's so many changes that we didn't even anticipate happening. Mm. How are you feeling about things? That's a great, Uh, that's a great lead. in. I like that. And if the mother, for example, again, one of these definite symptoms, if the mother is crying a lot, that person can say the, the, it seems like you feel a little, little overwhelmed or you seem so unhappy. Would you like to talk about it? So those are open ended questions. It's not yes or no. So that's very important too. Uh, to keep them open-ended and then can ask, what can I do to help? Let's try to come up with some solutions together. Mm-hmm. So that partner is partnering with his or her loved one to say, I'm here for you. I'm going to help you. You're not alone in this. And, but if you're going to do that, make sure you keep your word and get help her get, or him get help. Um, the last thing again, be prepared to get immediate help if there are safety risks, such as suicidal um, you know, thoughts or you know, thoughts of harming oneself or another. That requires immediate help. Um, these are such. These, I'm saying these are just such a great way to approach because I I have a friend that this has happened to. She had. It was more, it wasn't just, um, depression, it was the anxiety and a bit of the OCD. Mm-hmm. And her husband and I talked about how to seek help. And he was just really hesitant. It's like, how do I bring this up to her? So I love that you're giving real definitive answers and leads into how to talk to someone because we don't want to watch someone just continue to go down the drain. So this is so helpful. Thank you. Oh, you're very welcome. And again, these are excellent points and questions you ask, and they are so important because, yes, we want to prevent that spiral, as, intervene as early as possible and prevent it from getting worse, obviously. so well, you, What absolutely. are some of the different treatment options? So say the partner spoke with the birthing parent and they said, okay, I, you know, I see you're, I see you're overwhelmed. And then they want to seek help. They, you know, both people want to seek help. What are some of the treatment options or types of support you would recommend for someone who needs to seek help? Sure. And the first one I would suggest is non-judgmental support, support, support. This is so important. I can't tell you how many times I have just said, I'm here to listen. And the, the parent has said to me, Oh my God, just talking about this has made me feel so much better. Just knowing that someone is there in a non-judgmental, non-judgmental way, again, creating that open space. letting the floodgates open, like in my case, when the nurse practitioner was allowing me to open up, it was, it was like 5,000 pounds were lift, was lifted off my shoulder. So that is something doesn't cost anything. It's very easy. Well, in some ways it's easy. In some ways it may not be, but, um, it's very important because it's hard to hear someone that you love suffering, but if you can maintain that non-judgmental, um, warm, empathic stance, then that will be so enormously helpful. Now, 
I want to point out that this kind of support can come in different ways, um, includes loved ones, um, includes faith-based clergy and community. Uh, there is a caveat, though. I want to make sure that this is if strongly held beliefs by clergy or congregants do not prevent unconditional listening and judgment. So if if a clergy person has certain belie- religious beliefs that may contradict what that person is going through, that person, that clergy person may not be the best support. But if they can be open-minded to what that person is, go- their congregant is going through, then it can be an enormous source of support. Mm-hmm. Uh, hotlines are helpful. Uh, peer support, uh, support groups. Uh, what I want to say about support groups, they are enormously effective, but it's very important that it is a right fit for the person who is experiencing a PMAD. Not all support groups are uh, not one size fits all. Just because it's a PMAD group doesn't mean, you know, somebody who has going through or experiencing treatment after a psychotic episode Mm. uh, may not be appropriate for that person to be in a PMAD group where it's it's the focus is on postpartum depression. Can I ask a question about support groups? And this is, I'm going to be totally honest. I'm very biased about this because we have a support group at my yoga studio and uh-huh. I've always had it led by a licensed social worker. And I feel like our teacher, Jess, our facilitator, Jessica has, and I've also taken it as a new mom. She has such a different perspective because she does have that clinical social worker background than if it's just led by another parent. Again, I'm biased, so maybe some listeners like, no, another parent can lead it. But do you feel like having finding a support group that's led by someone that has a deeper insight is important or am I just biased? I could just be biased. (laughs) No, not at all. In fact, there are two different types of support groups in what you just brought up. There's the peer led one and there's the therapeutic one that's led by the social worker. And they're both have advantages. Um, in the one led by a social worker may have some more, would have some deeper clinical insight that might be relevant to, um, what the participants are going through. We give some more information on a deeper level. Uh, it would be more clinical based, uh, but obviously very relevant to that particular type of PMAD. A peer led group would be more informal um, and would be very useful for other moms who are like, yeah, I know what you're going through. I've been through it myself. And it's just more, it, the style is a bit different. The information is um, is given in a different way. One is more personal, I would say, by the peer-led one. Um, that's the one I attended. There were other moms who had gone through what I went through. Um, so I could, it, it was very powerful in the sense that I could relate. Those moms were like me. Yeah, you know, they were moms too. They, they had the same symptoms or similar symptoms that I was going through. So it's like they knew where I was at. Mm-hmm. Um, but a therapeutic group led by a professional is very important as well. So they're just different. Mm-hmm. And then what about one-on-one treatment? Do you also recommend that for people with PMADs? Yes. Um, the other uh, type of treatment would be a professional one-on-one. Uh, ideally, this person would be educated in perinatal mental health. 
there are differences with those that aren't. And actually those that aren't um, do not, it, it's not always the best choice because they can actually make matters worse. Mm. So it's important, not all of them, um, in some cases, by saying if, the wrong if, thing or not so not knowing it, some of the subtleties. Yes, exactly. All of the above. There are certain um, nuances, certain behaviors that are that pertain to perinatal mood anxiety disorders uh, only, because it's child. It pertains to birth and pregnancy. Um, it's not just general depression, which. Um, it's, it's not, it, PMADs are not, should not be grouped as a garbage pail diagnosis. And sometimes that happens. And, um, if that happens, there is, uh, a, a big problem or there can be a, a big issue or problem for the person who is going through it thinking that person didn't understand me. That person didn't give me the right resources. Uh, it can get complicated again, not with all of them, but there have been cases where, um, that, that has happened and has exacerbated the problems. Uh, so within our organization, Central Florida Postpartum Alliance, we're very careful to screen those who have, uh, a perinatal mental health, uh, background. That makes a lot of sense. Like when I tell my students when I want them to go to or encourage them to go to a physical therapist for pelvic floor, I have to remind them that a pelvic floor physical therapist is different than your general physical therapist. Exactly, It's very specialized. And and sometimes the general uh, physical therapist, by meaning well, sometimes doesn't always, they don't know the details of certain things, especially with pregnancy and postpartum. So exactly, you totally are speaking my language. So we had mentioned the partner and I've heard about partners experiencing peed meds as well. Can you talk a little bit, because you talked about how it, it's a rippling effect. How might a partner experience peed meds? Absolutely. Um, we know that one in 10 dads experience them. And I would love to talk about some of the, um, ex- some of the things that they experience. And these apply to both moms and dads. Um, believe it or not, hormones play a role with uh, dads experiences with PMADS. Uh, research has shown that fathers experience hormonal changes during and after their partner's pregnancy, particularly declines in testosterone. Um, partner uh, depression is pretty high. Uh, up to half of men with depressed partners also show signs of depression as well. Um, they may feel disconnected from mom and baby. They may feel like the outsider like as the bond between mom and baby grows, um, they may, or their partner and the baby grows, they may feel like they're the outsider looking in. Uh, personal or family history of depression is a big risk factor. Uh, and overall, a psychological adjustment to parenthood. Uh, becoming a new parent, it's a transition from an old identity to a new identity. And that can all all get very complicated. Uh, so, uh, and sleep deprivation plays a role throughout everything. Um, so if the father is sleep deprived, also he can develop a, a PMAD, uh, as well. So it, it's, these are all very real symptoms and, uh, but there are some differences between in the men and women's symptoms. Uh, and as men may experience some quote unquote traditional symptoms such as fatigue 
anger and changes in sleep and appetite, as we talked about, but they often exhibit fewer outwardly emotional expressions, such as crying. Um, they may, because, you know, there's that stereotype of being manly, um, they may feel even more stigmatized uh, of, of showing those feelings and, you know, have to um, conform to the societal perceptions of remaining strong for the family. You'd mentioned that something about testosterone dropping. What if it's uh, two females? Do you think that affects the other one, that the non-birthing parent, about their hormones dropping too? Yes. Yes, I do. Um, I don't know if that affects the testosterone per se, but I do know it's going to create a mental psychological effect that will affect the father. Like we talked about, you said fathers may be bewildered about what my what's going on with my spouse or my partner I don't know you know and so that her her postpartum uh, or I'm sorry her PMAD uh, which we know hormonal uh, issues are a big risk factor in general for um, new moms so Mm -hmm. that does play a role in creating that ripple effect over to the partner um, so who might be more prone to PMADs? Is it, if someone already had depression in their in their history, in their life history, are they more prone to PMADs? And what could they do before pregnancy and before birth to prepare for this possibility? Absolutely. So and you mentioned the, the biggest risk factor, and that is a family history of depression or anxiety. Uh, they're more, they are 50% more vulnerable than to the general that population. That is a huge amount. I it did not is. know that. Wow. It is huge. It is. So that's a, the biggest factor. Uh, a lack of a strong social support network is also another factor. Uh, prolonged life stressors such as marital and financial issues. Uh, that are unresolved or unresolved past traumas also uh, leave uh, new parents vulnerable for developing a PMAD. Um, complicated grief with previous losses uh, and uh, problems with trauma. Uh, these are all factors that leave, again, the parents very vulnerable. Uh, and and oftentimes these occur as a cluster. They're not individual. So that's why they create like this perfect storm. Um, so they don't usually incur individually. So if they have more than one of these, they're increasing their odds dramatically, especially with that family history. So, so I know but this there can... are several things oh, yeah. um, that can be done uh, to buffer and to help protect uh, the, uh, or prevention or at least mitigate the symptoms somewhat if a PMAT does occur. Uh, I can't emphasize enough to have a plan in place. I consider it like an emergency toolkit. You know, you have an emergency kit in cases of bad weather or, or any kind of emergency. This is just as important as well. Um, in the best case scenario, you never need it. In the worst case, it's right there. You've been prepared. You have it, and it's there at your fingertips. Um, the most important thing, again, is support resources. Uh, enlist those support systems that I talked about, a non-judgmental support system, loved ones, neighbors, faith-based community, uh, peer and online support. Um, 
Postpartum Support International, I, I just want to give a nod to this amazing organization. They are a global organization that's been um, around for over 20 years, and they provide uh, a, a ton of support in, and resources, as well as they have uh, chapters in every state. So I would con- I would put them on your contact list as well for uh, during pregnancy and postpartum as well, because they are they have myriad of resources and free online support groups and just about anything related to PMADS you can imagine. And I'll make sure we put that in our show notes, that link. But I, as you were going through some of the things about trauma and isolation, it, and I know this podcast is evergreen, so maybe someone's going to listen to this in two years and this will be a thing, hopefully the past, but is there any data if throughout this last two-year pandemic that PMADS have increased because of the isolation. I know, especially in the beginning, and I know throughout the country, people experience the, the pandemic differently, but they're, in the beginning, like people didn't see family. They didn't have the help. You know, we were really isolated. Is there any data that PMADS increased during this time? Absolutely. And I'm glad you brought that up because I wanted to address that because yes, they, I, I don't have the numbers on me, but the research is out there. Um, all these risk factors have been magnified by the pandemic, especially as you mentioned, the isolation, um, you know, financial resources, relationship issues, um, isolation from loved ones, uh, issues, trying to plan your delivery at the hospital, uh, you know, getting the medication or things that you need. Everything has been so challenging and has has definitely further complicated uh, the, the PMAT symptoms. Uh, if there's one silver lining uh, of, of the pandemic is that it has, in general, brought out a greater awareness of mental health issues, mm-hmm. and that is so important. Uh, and so we're hoping that as, as – and we're seeing the ramifications, obviously, of – the mental health um, effects of this pandemic. And so the stigma is reducing a bit in general and um, opening up more dialogue and you know, more eyes, opening more eyes to see what is going on um, with mental health in general, but with PMAD specifically. But yes, there is definitely, the numbers are much higher. Yeah, that's, that's scary. It is. So if someone is listening to this now and they're suffering from PMADs and maybe they feel like we talked about the stigma of guilt or embarrassment or, or self-judgment, what would you say to them right now so they know that they're not alone in this and that there's help? Absolutely. So like I said before, remember, you did not choose to have a PMAD when you got pregnant or adopted a child. When we do know that um, adopted parents also suffer from PMADs as well. Um, but how many of us, like I said, really would love to experience all these symptoms along with a baby? My point is, uh, it says out of your control. You do not have to judge yourself. You are not failing, but you may need support and assistance along the way, which is okay. So, 
I would like to borrow a line from Postpartum Support International, which says it all. Uh, you are not alone. You are not to blame. And with help, you will get better. Mm. Uh, I like to say, again, that PMADs are like hiding in plain sight. They are all around us, yet shrouded in sh- shame and secrecy, needlessly uh, keeping those who suffer deep in the dark. Um, but the more light we shine on them, the easier it will be to cope and to recover. I love that line that you said that. I'm going to make sure I pull that out so that we can use that for social media because I think it's important. We're going to take one more break, but when we come back, what is one final tip or piece of advice you'd like to offer new or expectant parents? We'll be right back. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. All right. You've given some really golden advice. Is there anything? It could be from your background as a clinical social worker. It could be from your background as a parent or someone that just (laughs) works with parents. (laughs) Anything, anything. What pops into your mind? Well, I guess I'm going to sound like a broken record here, but I would emphasize taking care of you Mm. and your family. But be proactive and have a nurturing plan in place as soon as you find out you are expecting. And do not be afraid to reach out. Again, it's not your fault. Um, There is a light at the end of the tunnel, and you will feel like yourself again. And there are people out there who are wanting to help. Yesterday in yoga class, we talked about mantras, about getting mm. through yes. challenging moments. And we were referring to parts in pregnancy and birth itself and parenthood. And the mantra that I've used throughout my life, whenever there's a challenge, and <laughs> there's been many, but it's this too shall pass. And as you Absolutely. were talking, it's that just really popped into my head. And it's just been so relevant for big moments of challenge, for small moments of challenge. So I'm just going to piggyback on what you were saying and just offer my favorite mantra, this too shall pass. I love it. And if I could piggyback briefly on that yes. too, I would like to say, Take it a moment at a time. Yeah. Don't buy it. Don't look at down the road. Look at, at this moment in time, what you have control over at each moment. Sometimes it's a moment by moment process. And sometimes all you have control over is your breath and yourself. Exactly. <laughs> that might be it. <laughs> exactly. Nothing else. Exactly. So Absolutely. where can people... And yoga and meditation are so important. They are evidence-based part of a treatment plan and I can't emphasize how helpful. Well, I love hearing that. I love evidence and data. So I I strongly concur. (laughs) So where can people find your work? Um, So I uh, can be found on centralfloridapostpartumalliance.org. That is our website. And um, I also have written a couple articles about postpartum depression and that can be found on the Breastfeeding USA uh, website as well. And I'll make sure I have all that in our show notes. Nancy, thank you so much. This was such an important conversation. I really, really appreciate all you offered. 
This has been an episode of Yoga Birth Babies, produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. You can catch us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Periscope. I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Thanks for listening. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.